0: Hey there, welcome to the Business of Baking Podcast. My name is Michelle Green and I am going to be your host for this. I'm very excited because you're listening to episode number zero, the very first one I've ever created. I'm really looking forward to sharing this adventure with you. Podcasting is something I've wanted to try for a while and now I'm doing it. So away we go. In today's episode, I thought I'd share a little bit about my background story that you might not have heard before. A couple of the untold bits and pieces and lessons that I learned from the experience of owning and running my own bakery for 10 fantastically fabulous years. So there's a couple of things maybe I haven't shared before. And so here's my opportunity. I'm going to do it today in our very first podcast together.
1: You're listening to the Business of Baking Podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Sealed by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green.
0: All right, so I thought today I would start out by telling you guys my story of how I became a small business owner, um, and I owned a custom bakery here in Australia, and I wanted to share this story because if you've gone to one of my live classes, you've probably heard a version of this before. Not that I have like a real version and a fake version, that's not what I mean, but when I'm in class, I try to keep this version fairly short, and it's a little difficult to give you lots of detail because there's lots of us to tell a story. So today I wanted to tell you a little bit more about that and a little bit more about the background of that story of how I got going in business. And I also have outlined a couple of lessons that I learned from that experience, which of course, hindsight is always 2020, but I learned some pretty amazing experiences from that and I really wanted to share those lessons with you in the hopes that it inspires you to perhaps carry on in your journey as well. So let's get started. So um, for those of you who don't know, um, I decided that I was going to be a cake maker fairly late in life, actually. It's something I did after I had another career. I originally worked um, in high-level administration for a university here. And while I loved that job, It wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life. I kind of fell into that job. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and I came out here to Melbourne, Australia, on a one-year study abroad program. And while I was here, I met my husband, David, and he and I... Pretty much got married, and I moved to Australia permanently right after graduation. Literally, I think it was a month after I finished my first degree. And so I didn't really have a career. I mean, I don't, I wasn't one of those people who knew what I wanted to do. And I was 21 years old, and I started doing admin. And I really just kind of fell into the university admin thing. I, I can't even remember now how I got into that. But I did it, and I loved it, and it was fun. And hanging out with young people is really fun. But I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And cake decorating had kind of only peripherally been a part of my life because this is like so bizarre. My parents owned a book about cake decorating. No idea, by the way, how they got this book or how that all worked, but they own this book. And I can still remember it actually had a shiny red cover. And on the front was a picture of a cake that it was a square cake with basket weave buttercream. And it had attached to it like a bunch of, I guess they were like really long straws maybe. And then at the top of the straws was a balloon, like a normal, you know, plastic or whatever, a balloon, and it was meant to look like a hot air balloon. And it was a very, very cool thing. So I'd always had kind of an interest in that, but I've always been a foodie and I've loved to cook. You know, I was the kid who, I didn't come home and make like a peanut butter sandwich. I came home and like sauteed mushrooms in butter and had that on crackers or whatever. Like I wasn't your normal kid when it came to food. But my parents are not foodies. Like, they're not. My mom doesn't cook. She often jokes that she would struggle to make a cake out of a box mix, and she's not sure where my baking genetics came from. So it's not something I really grew up with, but it was totally something that I had an interest in. So some friends got together, and they bought me a... um, Level 1 Wilton Buttercream class, which was pretty much all that was available here at the time. This was in the days pre-YouTube and pre-Craftsy and pre-all of that, so there wasn't much available in the way of cake decorating, but a bunch of friends got together and they bought me this class, and I imagine, like you guys, Once you do one lesson or you just try it out, it's this crazy addictive experience. And you go, oh my God, I'm good at this. And oh my God, this actually looks vaguely like a teddy bear or whatever it is you wanted it to look like. And it was such an amazing experience for me. I remember feeling like I'd come home. I've always been pretty crafty and I love working with my hands. Not artistic, but I'm pretty crafty. I just like to make stuff. And I did that first class and it was just... I don't know, like the angels started saying, oh, they've all come down, you know, from heaven to tell me that I'm good at this thing. And I loved it. And so I started doing that really just as a hobby. And I was making cake for like friends and family and this kind of thing. But like I said, at that time, I didn't really have the opportunity to, there was no education the way there is now. And so I believed at that time that the only way forward to becoming a cake decorator or a cake maker was to go to culinary school and do my pastry degree. Now, around that time, my kids, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a mom to triplets. So at that time, my kids were about two, and I was kind of like, oh, my God, I can't just like pick up my career and go and do some entirely other thing. But at the same time, I felt like this cake thing was calling to me. And I know that sounds very ridiculous, but I really felt like I knew that working in university administration wasn't the future for me. And I really wanted to give this cooking and baking thing a a try. And so I started looking around at what my options were. And at that time, there was pretty much one major, still is one big uh, culinary school here in Melbourne. And so I applied for this program, which in retrospect was kind of insane. We didn't really have a lot of money, although we were doing okay. It wasn't the kind of thing where I could just leave my job, but I thought, well, if I don't apply, I'm never going to know. So... I guess that's kind of the first lesson I've got for you is that there's an expression, which is that luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And I'm a big believer in making your own luck, right? You've got to prepare and then look for the opportunities. And that's exactly what I did in this case. I was working in my admin job, having a perfectly okay time. At that time, I was working three days a week and being with my kids the other two days. And I applied for this um, this this degree, and I didn't get in. Uh, I didn't get in not because I'm not awesome, but because they had no spots left uh, for local students by the time I applied. So here in Australia, the school year starts in February, and sometimes there's mid-year entry in July, and that's what I applied for was July, and I didn't get in. And they said to me, "Don't worry about it. We'll hang on to your application until Feb." I'm like, "Okay, cool." And then in October, I got a phone call from the university I wanted to go to saying, or the culinary school I wanted to go to saying, hi, Michelle, we have a last minute opportunity for some students to jump in on this patisserie course. Do you want to do it? And they called me on a Thursday afternoon and I was like, "Um, I guess so. Like, when does it start? And I assumed they meant February. And the answer was, oh, no, no, it starts on Monday. And this is Thursday afternoon. And I'm like, Monday, what the what? And the guy said to me, look, I've got to fill these classes and these spots, so I'll give you half an hour to give me a call back and let me know what it is you want to do. But after that, I'm going to give the spot away. Look, obviously, he was just going down a list, right, and, and filling these spots. So I called my husband, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're never going to believe this. I got this insane phone call. I have to start on Monday. What am I going to do? Oh, my God. Oh my, and I was freaking out. And his answer to me was like, why are you wasting your half hour talking to me? Just say Yes. And I'm going, what are we going to do with the kids? Like, how? I just can't quit my job and not give them any notice. He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Call them back. So I called them back and I took the opportunity and that was it. That afternoon, I walked into my boss's office and I I got to have that moment that we all dream about where you say, I quit. You know, I didn't say it with any like negative, like, you know. I hate you. I'm leaving. It wasn't that at all, but she knew because I'd been bringing cakes and cookies and whatever else into work for months and months. She knew that this was my big dream and she was enormously supportive So I quit. Um, I didn't entirely quit, though, and this is something I don't always mention when I tell this story out loud, which is that I actually had a couple of months there where she allowed me to change my work schedule to fit in with my school schedule because I was working on a contract at the time, and it was a project I actually really cared about, and I didn't want to just abandon that project. I thought that was kind of uncool. So I ended up working for a little while longer for her and as well going to culinary school. And then I started looking for a job as a pastry chef because I knew that once I quit my job working at the university that I'd have to find some sort of like plan B, right? I couldn't, we we couldn't afford for me to not bring in, bring in any money. So to be honest, I lived this extremely insane life for a couple of months there where I would literally get up in the morning, get the kids ready, whatever, take them off to daycare. And in my corporate gear, I'd go off to my office job and I'd work my office job. And then at lunchtime, I would get in the car and I would drive into the city and I changed my corporate gear to my chef gear. And I'd go to school from lunchtime until eight, nine, ten o'clock at night because the school day happens to run like that. And then you weren't allowed to leave the university in your um, chef gear. So I would get out of my chef gear. I'd put on like mom clothes and I'd like come home and I'd kind of go upstairs and sneak into the kids' rooms and give them a cuddle. And then the next day, the same thing, sometimes opposite hours, sometimes school would be in the morning and work would be at night or whatever. And I did that for a couple of months until the contract ran out because I felt a real obligation to finish that contract and we needed the money. In the interim, I decided that I needed to look for a pastry job. But here is the thing. I'd never worked as a pastry chef before in my life. Literally no clue what I was doing. Had never set foot in a commercial kitchen other than to like take a tour or something but I really needed the money we need. I needed to work. And so I decided that I was going to just start applying for stuff and I would tell people the truth, which is that I didn't have any experience in a commercial kitchen, but this whole time I'd been making those cakes for friends and family. Right. That was my big thing. And I had photos of that work. And so I was able to prove my work, you know, honestly, now when I look at those photos, (laughs) I'm like, who the heck was hiring me, man? Those photos are terrible. Like truly Like bad. But obviously, they saw the potential. And I guess that's the second lesson to learn is that everything we do today is a stepping stone to tomorrow. You just never know when the things you're achieving and doing today you just never know where they're going to lead. And I got that first pastry chef job or pastry cook job entirely off the back of my enthusiasm. And those ridiculous photos, I'm, I'm telling you, embarrassing, embarrassing photos. We're talking Wilton cakes that are like an inch high with all that like star piping, <laughs> you know, those like piping tips that you just sit there for like 40 million hours and pipe stars. So I guess we just need to remember in life, you know, that, no, everything is a stepping stone to everything else. You know, if I didn't own my cake business, then I wouldn't be here talking to you on this podcast, being listened to all over the globe. And I can tell you that there's no way I could have predicted that. And when I did that Wilton level one buttercream class, no way I could have predicted that that would lead to a full business and a full, God, just life experience. You know, everything we do is a stepping stone. And I, I really believe in my heart of hearts that no experience is wasted. Even the experiences that we feel maybe are not our best or are not just didn't produce what we want them to do or whatever. It's a stepping stone to something else. And you just never know what comes from another thing, you know? So I got this job um, at a place uh here in Melbourne and it was a cafe slash bakery slash restaurant. <laughs> I know, like slash, slash. So that means that we used to produce wholesale stuff, we used to produce bread, we used to produce pastries, desserts, all kinds of things, but it was also a full-time cafe. And then they used to serve dinner at night. And so part of what we did was also desserts for that. So it was truly one of the most amazing jobs of my life. I still, I still adored, like when I think of it now, I have, I think back on it with such fond memories for what I learned and the people I met who I'm still in contact with some of them and just the whole experience, actually, actually side story here, when I took that Wilton Level 1 class, I met a girl in that class whose name was Grace. And she was a pastry chef who was working full-time as a pastry chef, but she wanted more experience in decorating. And so she took this Wilton Level 1 class, and I became friendly with her, just like in class. You know, hey, how are you doing? Whatever, whatever. And then a couple months later, when I wanted to apply for pastry chef jobs, I noticed that there was a job available at the place that she had said she'd worked. And so I applied there, and in my application I said, hey, I know this girl, Grace, that works there, etc. And Grace actually knew how enthusiastic and excited I was and I I don't know for sure because she's never told me but I imagine that she probably would have gone to bat for me a little bit and the amazing thing is that now you know 15 years later or whatever Grace and I are still friends and we both still work in the industry not quite in the way we started out but we still both still work in that industry and I consider her very much a mentor and friend and I was very proud many years later to make her wedding cake it was actually I think one of the best cakes I've ever made not so much from a visual point of view, but from the emotion and love and history that went into that cake. It was amazing. So I was working as this pastry chef and my life did not get any less uh, complicated. In fact, it got a little bit more complicated because my, my kids were now toddlers. They were kind of three, four. And anybody who's ever worked as a pastry chef for a living knows that the hours are in sanity. You are basically up at three o'clock in the morning and you're working 12, 13, 14, 15 hour shifts. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy life. It is incredibly rewarding, but it is an insane life. And so I used to get up at three o'clock in the morning, Again, put on my clothes, go to work, change into my chef gear, work a gajillion hours, get covered in just sugar and ganache and everything (laughs) sticky and yucky that you can possibly imagine. You know, roll out thousands of croissants. And I remember at the end of the day, I used to like three, four in the afternoon, I used to run to daycare to pick up my kids because here for every minute you're late, they charge you a dollar, which for me would be $3. And can you imagine if I'm like 10 minutes late, that's 30 bucks out the door. And let me tell you, pastry chefs don't earn a lot of money. So that would have been a couple of hours Hours worth of work there, and I used to pick up the kids, and I used to come home, and I used to, you know, bathe and shower them, and get them dinner and whatever, and then bathe and shower me and get me ready for dinner, and I used to crawl into bed, literally crawl into bed, like seven, seven thirty at night, and just fall asleep and be up the next day. And some days I had work and kids and school, so I was just living this insane life. But I cannot. remember a time in my life when i've ever felt so full of energy and excitement because here i was following a path that i didn't think i'd ever follow and i was just i loved every minute of it i truly 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 did i learned some lessons along the way of that and one of those is that even though I was taking a step in the right direction towards becoming a professional pastry chef um, or cake decorator, I also had to learn at that time to kind of change my direction. So I was doing this and doing this and doing this, but I learned along the way that maybe this wasn't really what I wanted. And I had a seminal moment where I was working at the cafe, restaurant, bakery, uh, and I loved it. But again, I knew it wasn't what I wanted because it was largely production work. So high volume production work. And I wanted to make beautiful, decorative, amazing things. And in my head, I had kind of two goals. The first goal was I really wanted to work at a hotel. Growing up in Los Angeles, I was exposed to Hollywood and Hollywood parties and Vegas. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen like in People Magazine and all those like, you know, fancy... um, famous people magazines. I don't know the name of them now, but you know, all those kind of magazines where they have like celebrities and stuff and they show all these incredible celebrity cakes and they show all these incredible chocolate show pieces that they make at, at hotels in Vegas and stuff. And I'd seen that and I really wanted to make those incredible, beautiful things. So my first goal was to actually work in hotels because hotels have a lot of scope for that kind of stuff. They really do because they tend to have sugar show pieces and chocolate show pieces and cakes for celebrities and all this kind of stuff, and then my next step after the hotels was I wanted to become a wedding cake maker and have my own business and be kind of the you know end all be all cake maker in the wedding industry. I wanted to make these beautiful, gorgeous sexy things, but here 's what I mean about how a step in the right direction sometimes changes your direction. I applied for an ocean load of jobs in hotels. So I was still working at the cafe, but I wanted to move up. So I started applying every hotel you can imagine. Fancy hotels, because I wasn't going to go cheap, right? No holiday in for me. This was all about, you know, the Marriott's and the Hilton's and the Sofitel's and the Grand Hyatt's and all those sort of things. And I got rejected from job after job after job. And I was getting unbelievably frustrated. And finally, I got an interview at the Hyatt. And I didn't get the job and I knew in the interview I wasn't going to get the job. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you know, sometimes you get a feeling like I'm not going to get this gig. I just know I'm not going to get this gig. And so I was very brave and I said to the woman, look, I know you're not going to give me this job, but I really want to work in hotels and I can't figure out why I'm never getting the job. I know my skills are good. I know my, I know I'm personable and I'm capable and all this kind of stuff. And I've got a great portfolio now. Why am I not getting the job? And she said, you're not getting the job because you're probably too enthusiastic about the decoration side. And people are afraid that you're going to come into a hotel, which is high volume. And after, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks on end of just producing raspberry tarts or whatever it is, you're just going to get bored. And she said, yes, we can see that you're an amazing decorator and you have all these skills, but what we can't see is your willingness to work for hours on end doing the same thing in and out over and over. And I was like, ah, oh, but I'm working volume now. And she's like, no, now you're doing, you know, 100, 200 croissants a day. Hotels is thousands a day. And that's speed and that's frankly, pretty boring. And her recommendation to me was that I go and get a job in catering because catering is also high volume, certainly higher volume than I was doing. And she said, go get a job at a catering company. They'll generally hire lots of people more than a hotel's will and come back to me in six months. And if you survive the catering gig and if you, if you enjoy it and you find that it's okay, come back and let me know how you feel about that. And with that experience, I'll be more willing to give you a try. So I took her advice And I was actually really grateful for that advice because that advice changed the course of my life. And I went and I got a job at a catering place, exactly as she suggested. And again, I looked for a catering company that was high end. In fact, they still are arguably one of Melbourne's most expensive and most uh, schmancy. It's probably not an official word, but schmancy caterers. And I got this job. And to be honest, I both loved it and I hated it. I loved it because I was working with high-end food and high-end shifts in a fast-paced, crazy environment, which is unbelievably life-giving. I know that sounds like it would be life-sucking and it kind of is because my back was killing me and I was exhausted all the time. But there is something to be said about the energy and adrenaline and sheer excitement that comes from working in a fast-paced kitchen. And if you've ever done that, you you know what I mean. It's like you're on a high. It's like a just, it's just the most amazing experience. And so I got this catering job and while well, I loved it, I realized that I kind of hated it too because there was so little room for the creativity. There was no sugar show pieces. There was no beauty. It was all about high speed. And funnily enough, one of the people I worked for there, she was a woman named Jo, who I'm still friends with, actually, amazingly. Uh, I, seem to, I seem to acquire lots of people as I work. And I remember this one day I was making, I think like chicken sandwiches or something really not very inspiring. And I was using I was using one hand to like lean on the bench on the kitchen bench and the other hand to make these sandwiches. And Joe looked at me and she was she was my boss at the time. She looked at me and she's like, "Why are you only using one hand?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just am." And she's like, "Michelle, God gave you two hands. Use them both." And she actually showed me how using both hands at the same time you could fill twice as many sandwiches or tarts or whatever it was as whatever it was you're doing. And I was like, "Ah." Oh, So my left hand doesn't have to just hang out here. It can also be, you know, or my left hand would hold the roll or my right hand would fill it or whatever it was. And actually that's the part of it that I hated. Not having to use both hands was not the bad part. The bad part was I was like, this is all about just speed and basically production. And no matter how fancy those truffles are or how beautiful that food is, at the end of the day, this is just a factory job. I mean, it's a beautiful, nice smelling, (laughs) tasty, tasty, tasting, factory job, but it's a factory job. And I'm like, this is not going to work for me. So I realized that while the catering was a step in the right direction, it also changed my direction. And it really, really made me realize what is it I want here? What I want is that wedding cake business. So doing that job prompted me to actually push my dreams a little bit further in a new direction, still in the right direction, but in a new direction. And I started looking around for a commercial kitchen And there's not very many of them here. And again, this is in the days before there was incubator kitchens. Now, if you've never heard of what an incubator kitchen is, those are shared kitchens where multiple people use the same space together. So we didn't really have that kind of thing. But I started... I got business cards. I started my business going, right? I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to do this hotel thing. So I really want to do my own thing where I don't have to use both hands to make sandwiches. So I got my business cards and I started thinking about a business name. And those business cards, so embarrassing. They had a cherry pie on them. I've never baked a cherry pie in my life. Well, at least then I hadn't. I have since then, but then I hadn't. Worst business cards you've ever seen. But the point is that I had them. And I started telling people that I was making cake and I started talking to people about it and I started looking for a commercial kitchen. So that all the experiences until then, you know, I have to say, again, stepping stones, right? Everything led me in the next direction. None of it was wasted experience. Working in that catering company was not the joy of my life, although I had a good time, but I acquired friends and skills and not to mention (laughs) a few bodily scars. I actually got hurt quite a lot in that job. I I sliced the top of my thumb off on a meat slicer and a bunch of other things. Um, But the experience and life that I gained from that it's just, you know, you can't put a price on that. And and again, it forced me to change the direction of where I was going. And so I looked for a commercial kitchen and I found one during that time. Embarrassingly, I actually used to do stuff like I used to take orders at lunchtime. Like I used to sit at lunchtime and return phone calls to people outside of this catering company. And then I'd go back in and do my work. But actually, I maybe mean, that's not embarrassing. Maybe that's just getting it done. Really? But again, with every step that I took, I learned that stepping in the right direction sometimes meant changing the direction. And remember, I told you that I really wanted to be a wedding cake maker. Hmm, that turned out to be not the best decision, but we'll, we'll come back to that. OK, so if you've stuck into the story this long, you know that I was working at the catering company and I was looking for a commercial kitchen and I found a commercial kitchen that was not far from home. It was about a 10 minute drive from home. And I went and looked at it and it was perfect and whatever. And at that point, I knew that this is what I wanted to do, but I didn't really have any money to do. it. I had a little bit of savings saved up and I had enough money Hilariously, I had enough money for one month worth of of rent in this commercial kitchen. I did not have enough money for the second month of rent. But I was like, you know what? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I was still working as a chef part-time. So this is basically what I did. I paid a a rent for a month and I moved into that kitchen and I just kind of started taking orders. I started telling more and more people all those business cards I had made. I started sticking them up everywhere I could think of to stick them up. I just started slowly telling people that now I was selling cake and now I had this commercial kitchen and I will, I think one of the things I'll never forget is like the second day or the third day that I was in that commercial kitchen, the phone rang and a woman said, Oh, hi, this is so-and-so just wondering, do you make cupcakes? Now I, until that point, no joke, had never made a cupcake in my life other than from a box mix. And I never intended to be anything other than a cake maker. And I was like standing there going, Okay, this is my commercial kitchen, and I need to pay for it, and, and I just said to her, yes, of course you make cupcakes. Total lie, never intended to make cupcakes in my life. And she said, and what would you charge for that? And I just came up with the first thing off the of my head, which was five dollars. Which, let me tell you, these days people will pay a lot for cupcakes, but five bucks is still a little bit ridiculous, and at the time it was very ridiculous, and she was like, oh, I don't know about five dollars. Yeah, that's, that's a little expensive. Thanks. And she kind of hung up on me. <laughs> but it got me thinking, like, maybe I should offer cupcakes. I mean, how different or difficult can they be? And this is a really important lesson in listening to your customers and paying attention to what is going on around you because this was the very, very start of the cupcake boom. And that one phone call made me kind of start looking around like, huh, what, what's out there? Remember, I only ever intended to be a cake maker. But I started looking around and realizing that cupcakes were a thing, or at least they are becoming a thing. And so I decided that, wouldn't it be that hard to offer cupcakes. And so I started offering cupcakes as well as cake. And to be honest, this ended, ended up being one of the best decisions I ever made because shortly thereafter, about 18 months later, the biggest cupcake company in Melbourne actually went under. They went bust. And I profited big time out of that, which is horrible to say that I profited from somebody else's demise. But because by then I'd established myself as both a cake and a cupcake maker, I was able to take on those orders. I got all these hysterical phone calls the weekend had happened from like panicked brides and panicked companies going, they're trying to confirm their order with this company and they're not answering the phone. They literally shut their doors like overnight. And I got a ton of orders from that cupcake company going under But the only reason I was able to take on those orders is because I was willing to listen to what my customers wanted and I kept my eyes and ears open. And that's probably one of, I think, the most important pieces of advice for those of you who are new in business is in the early days, really listen, really keep your eyes and ears open and pay attention and try stuff out. Try it out. If it works awesome. If it doesn't work, you know what? That's a lesson you've learned, but you have to be willing to give stuff a try. You know, if I'd tried that cupcake thing and it didn't work, it wasn't that hard to go back onto that decision and go, you know what? We no longer make cupcakes. Plenty of times in the course of my business, I tried new things and they worked. And I was like, cool, this is awesome. I'm going to do more of this. And plenty of times I tried things and they were a complete and utter disaster. But if I didn't try them, how would I know? And so I guess you have to really approach business, especially in those early days, willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to look around and willing to just try stuff. One of my biggest disasters actually in business, I don't know if it was such a big disaster, but it felt like it at the time, was I used to get a bunch of phone calls from people asking me to do kids classes I don't really like kids. I mean, I like my own kids, but I'm not a a kid person, but so many people were asking me to do it. And I put kids classes on the, on the um, timetable, I think maybe four or five or six times, loads of times. And, every time. They either wouldn't sell or they'd sell once. They just never really went well for me. And then I, f- <laughs> I agreed. This is like traumatic even thinking about it. I once agreed to host a kid's cupcake decorating party. And remember that I don't really like kids. So I outsourced this to one of my employees to run the class. And she called me halfway through the class. And she was like, Michelle, you have to come in. Things are not good. <laughs> and I'm like, not good. Like how bad can they be? Right. And I come in to find, seriously, it's not an exaggeration to say there was buttercream on the ceiling. It was as though somebody had released a pack of hyenas into my kitchen, like worst experience in the world. It took us actually hours to clean up after that mess. It was just, it was such a freaking disaster, like just terrible. So I guess the you know the lesson here is just listen to your customers, keep your eyes and ears open, and you know don't be afraid to try stuff. You can go backwards. You're allowed to say, as I did after that experience, you know what, no more on the kids parties and kids classes. This is just not the thing for me. So I kept my business in that commercial kitchen and it was, it was, didn't have a shop front. So it was just like a little commercial kitchen in a factory. I kept my business in there for quite a few years and I did hire an employee. Actually, I I blew through quite a few employees (laughs) in that time. People tend to come and go a little bit. Anybody who's worked in hospitality knows that it's quite a challenge to actually keep employees. But I had an employee at that time. I started out with um, my, my good friend of mine who had worked with me at the cafe. She started working with me as an employee one day a week. used to pay her cash in hand, all very dodgy. Uh, But eventually I grew to the point where I had more solid employees. She went back to her normal job and everything. And honestly, business was doing really, really well to the point where I slowly, slowly, slowly chefed less or did less chef work and caked more. And if you are somebody who is considering this big leap, I recommend that that's the way to do it. If you have a job that you can adjust or you can get a part-time bridge job, I think that's the way to do it. I'm not sure that I would have been as confident a cake owner as I was if I was constantly worrying about that mortgage or constantly worrying about how we were going to feed our family or whatever. I just... I guess I can't stress enough how much knowing I had another form of income. Yeah. On the one hand, I guess it did keep me from taking bigger risks and making bigger decisions. On the other hand, it relieved so much stress and pressure for me because I knew that even if, you know, I had a week where cakes were slow, I was still making money from being a chef and, you know, cake is, we work for the weekend, right? So it was pretty easy to chef like on a Saturday, sorry, on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then do cake like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so, that's how I built my business. I just chef less and caked more as time went on until such time as I could finally look into being full time. And that didn't happen for quite a while. It took me quite a few years. I also didn't pay myself in those early years very much. Again, I didn't need to because the chef work is what paid my salary um, for us as a family. And the cake money that I made went to paying the rent and that kind of thing. I told you guys earlier that I only had enough for one month of rent. And that is true. I only had enough for one month of rent. And as the second month got closer, <laughs> I started to panic a little bit because I didn't have that money. And Of course, I didn't tell my landlord that. I think if he knew that, that would be bad news, but I didn't tell him that. And I started to panic and panic and panic. Like, how am I going to make this money? How am I going to make this money? And I started looking around, like, can I loan stuff? Can I sell stuff? Like, what can I do here? And about two or three days before my rent was due, I actually got our tax return refund in the mail. And the refund from our tax returns covered my rent for the second month in that commercial kitchen. Which, can I tell you, talk about surviving by the hair on your chinny chin chin. This was like, <laughs> a little too close for comfort, but it worked. And by the third month, I'd made enough money to pay that rent. I didn't make enough money to pay much of anything else, but I was covering that rent. And I honestly really remember the days where I was still buying ingredients at the supermarket. I remember the first time I bought a 25 kilo bag of flour from a wholesaler. And for those of you who don't measure things in kilos, it's about just show 60 pounds. I remember thinking like, when am I possibly going to go through this much flour in like a lifetime? Because previously I'd been buying like a two pound bag and like 60 pounds was just this. I remember getting this thing. I could barely carry it and going like, oh my God, this thing is going to last for like all eternity. And by the time I sold my business, uh, several years later, we were using several of those bags per day. So it was a little bit of a different story. But in the beginning, I remember opening that bag and looking at all this flour going like, this is a billion cakes. I'm never going to use all this flour. So business was going pretty well. And I was pretty happy. And I had my one employee. Again, she only worked part time. But I then had a situation where two things went wrong, and this is a really good example of the lesson of how bad situations often leads to brilliant solutions. And we look at bad situations as being horrible, but to be honest, I think sometimes when bad stuff happens, it really pushes you into the next level of business and into the next level of your growth and what you're capable of. So the first kind of not really bad, but the first unfortunate thing that was happening is that we were running out of room for cake. So for storing finished cakes. So on a Friday, we'd like, we'd have a prep list, you know, we got to do all these five cakes or 10 cakes or whatever it was, and we'd finish them and then we'd have nowhere to put them. So I don't like refrigerated cakes. If I don't have to refrigerate them, I'd prefer them to be at room temperature. So literally we would store them like on top of the stove and in the freezer, sorry, in the the freezer. (laughs) I just talked about not liking refrigerated cakes. So we store them on the stove and on top of the freezer. Thank you. And we'd put them inside the oven, which obviously was cold, and we would just, there was cake everywhere, like literally everywhere. And the girl who worked for me at the time owned a combi van, which is like a a Volkswagen, you know, those like camp, hippie camper van things. And we literally got to the point where we would park her car in front of the, in front of the kitchen and store the cake in the back of the combi van because there was nowhere else to store them. And it just, it got ridiculous ridiculous. We used to spend more time, honestly, more time trying to figure out where to fit all these cakes in than we did actually making the the cakes themselves. They were on my desk. They were just on top of the filing cabinet, like everywhere. It was like, where are we going to put cake? And of course the next day when clients would come to pick them up, it was like, Seriously, It was like playing hide-and-seek to find where we'd, we'd put all these cakes. So that was my first problem is that we were just running out of space for finished cakes. The kitchen itself was still working, but the storage situation was not. And the second thing that happened is the landlord was a bit of a jerk, and with basically less than 30 days' notice, he hiked my rent up. By, I think it was about 30%, which is illegal here in Australia. Uh, and they basically threatened me with a whole bunch. Like, I'd been there four years, and the guy basically went a bit not and he threatened me with all kinds of stuff if I didn't comply. And I said to him, like, that's not allowed. You can't just raise rent like that with no notice. And it ended up in a little bit of like a legal stoush. And in the end, I won that legal stash. But to be honest, the cake's not fitting. It was time to move anyway. And so although I was at the time absolutely heartbroken and having to leave that kitchen. And I was worried about expenses and money and where it was it all going to come from? The fact that we couldn't fit anything in and the fact that he was a jerk actually worked in my favor. And it really pushed me forward. The truth is that by the time all that mess happened, the decision to move had already been made. I was just afraid. I was afraid to take the leap. I was afraid to move forward, but you know, the decision had been made and in my heart of hearts, I knew I had to go And that just kind of made things go a little bit faster. So I had to move from my commercial kitchen to a much bigger shop. And so I started looking for a much, much bigger premises because now I had to fit all this stuff in. All right. So there's Michelle with her little cake business in this little commercial kitchen and one employee and the cakes were like bursting at the seams and I had to move. And I decided that it was time to finally get that cake shop that existed in my dreams, the one that existed in my head. And so I found a empty premises Actually, to be fair, my in-laws found it for me. I found an empty premises um, that was literally around the corner from my house. It was a six-minute walk or or a three-minute drive from my house. And this is important to know because this was really important to me that it would be close to home. Again, although my kids were no longer toddlers, now they were young kids in primary school. I wanted to be close to home. I wanted to be able to pick them up if I needed to. I wanted their bus to be able to stop. Their school bus to be able to stop near the store and drop them off. It was really important to me. And this is something... I think we don't think about enough. I think we think about our our customers a lot and we think about what we provide to other people and don't get me wrong. That's super important, but you also need to think about your family and what it is you want out of this. And I was still a mother and I still had obligations to them and I still wanted a lifestyle that would allow me to be with them. And the other thing I decided at this time when I was looking for a shop is that I wanted street frontage. I wanted people to be able to see it from the front, but what I didn't want is I didn't want it to be a retail store. I didn't want to have to, you know, serve coffee and croissants and all that kind of stuff. It really wasn't what I was into. What I wanted was a cake studio. So although it had opening hours and people could come in and out and whatever, I didn't want it to be the kind of thing where I had to be open certain hours. I didn't want to have to carry product every day. I really didn't want that. But I knew that in order to afford this premises, I'd have to change the way that I did business. And so I started looking at other ways to make money. And moving into this new premises, which was five times the size of my old one, meant an, a massive financial um, obligation. So I ended up taking out a loan. And I also ended up uh, remortgaging my house to be able to afford to do this. I spent well over $100,000 on outfitting that new store. something I don't talk about very often. Uh, but it was worth it to me because it meant that I could take everything to the next level. I could start to teach. I could rent out that space. I could hire out. I could just do so much more now that I had street frontage and an actual storefront as opposed to a commercial kitchen. Now, I don't want you to think that it was all wine and roses. I was terrified. This was, I'd never loaned this much money before ever from anybody or from anyone other than to buy my house, which is the thing that, you know, like kept all of us warm and dry. So this was an enormous and somewhat terrifying commitment, but I did it because I just had this vision that I could make it happen. And again, I know I said that this was cheesy before, but this is cheesy still and true now that I just felt like this future was calling to me and everything was a stepping stone, you know, way back when, when I backed myself and I got that culinary school degree and then I backed myself again and I started looking at those hotel jobs and I backed myself again and I did the catering thing. Every single time it was a stepping stone to something else and this store was no different. So I loaned this terrifying amount of money and I opened this store and I have to say it was such an incredible moment to stand in that store once it was all set up. And once it was all looking like I wanted to look and to just realize that the vision I had in my head that whole time was actually right there in front of me. And not, not a word of a lie every day that I used to go to work in the shop, I used to open the door and I had this little ritual. I'd open the door and I would stand just inside the door and I'd kind of breathe in and I'd breathe out, and I would just have this moment of intense gratitude, like, oh my God, I did it. I really did it. And maybe it's not perfect, and maybe I'm tired, and maybe I'm scared, and I'm worried, and I this, that, and the other, but the fact is, I made this thing happen. And I knew that whether that business succeeded or failed, I'd always have the satisfaction of knowing that I did it. And it meant so much to me until the very last day when I walked out of the door. It just meant the world to me to know that I'd done it. And I used to, most mornings I'd have that little, you know, five second little ritual and I would just cry because I'd be so, I'd just be astounded. And I I never lost that gratitude. I never lost that appreciation or that sense of wonder and amazement that came from the fact that here I was, running this business, employing other people, still being a good mom to my kids. You know, I didn't always feel like I had it together, but at least I felt like I was doing a good job and you know, my whole my whole point of my business was making people happy, not just the people I serve, but myself as well. And so that meant so much more to me. But moving to the shop um also changed the course of how things went for me again. <laughs> the first thing is that The more successful the business became, the less cake I could make. And this is an unequivocal fact, really, that the more you become successful as a business or the busier or the larger your business becomes, the less you get to make cake, which is why you went into it in the first place. You know, you have all of a sudden you have a whole stack of new responsibilities, employees you've got to manage, bills you've got to pay, the inquiries you get by email, the phone rings, you've got to now market. I mean, you need to become much more a businesswoman than you do a cake maker. And I think this is where a lot of people go wrong. They get into cake because they love cake, not realizing that as soon as you turn that into a business, you better love business too, or at least learn to love it. It gets harder and harder and harder to stay close to the product. The more you become successful and the bigger your business grows. Now I had a real thing about that. That was a real bee in my bonnet. I, I love cake decorating. I still do. Actually, I love making things with my hands. So I, Organize my life so that I have one day of every week in the kitchens, decorating. Some days I had two, some weeks I had two, if it was really busy, but one day, no matter what, usually a Friday, where I decorated. That's all I did, I would just show up and decorate on a Friday. This had a lot of advantages, I got to stay closer to my employees, I got to be more involved in the hands-on, uh, things of the business, there was a bit of a personal touch, there was a quality issue, I wanted to make sure I saw everything before it went out the door, and honestly it fed my soul. But the price that I paid for staying that one day in the kitchen meant that often on the Thursday night or a Friday night I'd be answering emails until quite late in the evening. Or on Saturday, the store was open from 9:30 till 12:30, but it meant that I was often there till kind of. or 3.30 answering emails. So I did pay a time price for that, but I'm glad that I did. And I think that I wish so many people going into this industry would understand that as soon as you take that hobby of yours that you love and you turn into a business venture, the responsibilities totally change. They, They increase enormously, but they also change and they take you further and further away from that product. It's just the way it is. You want more orders. You've got to answer more emails or answer that phone more often, right? So that's something that I wish more people thought about, that just because you're a good technician and you love making something doesn't necessarily make you a good business owner. And it really is something you have to think about, you know, really is something that you you need to consider that the more successful you become, the less cake or the less product you might get to play with. And some people find that a little difficult. So I started running this business in an actual cake studio now and it was growing and growing and growing. I finally got rid of chefing. I stopped chefing. It didn't work for anybody else. Full time in that kitchen and it was some weeks I felt like more than full time like late nights and weekends and I did work seven days a week. I tried really hard not to work on Sundays and eventually I did change the business a little bit so that uh, Sundays we were just totally closed and Mondays we were totally closed unless it was a delivery or something. So I did actually change the way my business worked so I started to get a little bit of a weekend back which was great. But the thing about moving to that location is that And and this is another one of those lessons, which is that business, actually being in business, taught me more about me as a person than it taught me about anything else. Sure, I learned how to make ruffles and rib cakes and whatever else. and learned how to be a great cake decorator. And I also learned how to be a good businesswoman. But I learned more about myself in that time and me as a person and me as a a grown-up than I've learned anywhere else. In fact, I think I learned more about myself as a person from owning a business than I did from being a mother. And I learned things like how tolerant I am. You know, how tolerant am I of certain kinds of behavior? How tolerant am I of certain people? How tolerant am I of situations? How tolerant am I of all kinds of things? I learned a lot about my tolerance. I learned a lot about my resourcefulness. You know, I learned that I could fix it if I needed to fix it. You know, when I got sick, I learned how to find ways to make things happen anyway. If suppliers let me down, I learned how to, you know, solve that problem. I became a hugely resourceful person, which in part is my personality, but I learned just how resourceful I can be. I mean, I, the worst experience I ever had was I went with my my family to the Royal Melbourne show, which is like uh in the States, you would call that uh the state fair. And <laughs> I went to the state fair and I got, this is so embarrassing. I got food poisoning from something I ate at the state fair. By the way, I think it was chicken and corn soup. Why I was eating soup at a state fair and not like, cotton candy. I don't really know, but whatever. So I got got food poisoning and I got so sick that I went to the doctor and he did some um, tests to find out what was wrong with me. And it came back that I had this this food poisoning or whatever. And he said to me, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm I'm a chef and I, I own a cake company or whatever. And he said, well, that's nice because you won't be doing that for several weeks. And I was like, what? So it turns out that here, there is a law which says that if somebody who works in the food industry comes down with that that strain of uh, bacteria or whatever it was, they have to report it to like the food health authorities, and you're actually not allowed by law to go back to work for... I believe it's three weeks in total or it's, or it's like a week after you finish vomiting or something. I can't exactly remember the rules. But literally overnight, I went from running a business full time and being there seven days a week to suddenly not, and I couldn't actually even go, th- I wasn't allowed in the door. And if I'd been caught in the door, Look, I don't know who checks these things, but if I've been caught in the business, even if I wasn't in the kitchen, even if I was only in the office part, I would have been in massive trouble and they would have charged me a fine. And the truth is, I don't really want anybody else to get sick anyway. So if I was that contagious or that whatever, infectious, I didn't really want to be in there anyway. But literally overnight, I had to find someone else to run my business and I did it. I became a hugely resourceful person, right? And you know, life happens, you get sick, but I could never have predicted that. I've since learned never to eat soup at a state fair. Uh, but I couldn't have predicted that. So I learned a lot about my resourcefulness. I also learned that I'm a way more emotional person than I thought. You know, if I got bad feedback from a client, I took it really, really personally. I took it really to heart. I've always known that I'm, I'm emotional, but I like to think of myself as a bit of, as a bit of a, I know I like to think that I have that business as business attitude and I guess I do Like 70% of the time, but 30% of the time, I'm a highly emotional highly emotive female. And so when I got bad feedback, that was hard for me to deal with. That was really hard for me to deal with. When employees didn't behave in a way that I thought was proper and I had to have that conversation, it was hard for me. I was nervous, you know, heart beating, palms sweating the whole nine yards. So I learned a lot about my capacity for emotion. And I also learned how to control my emotions when I needed to, but I learned also that, you know what? I took it personally and that's not a bad thing, but I learned a lot about how emotional I really was. I learned stuff about what do I like and don't like to do. You know, I loved talking to customers. I loved talking to suppliers. I love talking to people. I didn't really love invoicing. (laughs) You know, I didn't really like all the paperwork associated with money. And I learned a lot. And this is maybe the most important thing. I learned a lot about the life I wanted to lead and what I wanted my life to look like. You know, when you own a small business, it can feel like every hour of every day is just sucked into the vortex, which is your business. And you know what? It kind of is. But I also, being a mom of triplets, and you know, I mean, this is true for all moms, but in particular, the triplet thing. I'm very, very, to this day, I remain very aware, almost painfully aware of how much I only get one shot at parenthood. I don't have any younger kids that I can be better a better mom to or nicer to or whatever it is. You know, my kids are only ever going to have those milestones once. You know, when they graduate high school, they're all graduating high school. You know, when they graduate sixth grade or whatever, they're all graduating sixth grade. I don't have any other opportunity to do it again or experience it again or whatever, which of course is true for one child too. But I think when it's spread out, you kind of have more of chance to Maybe live in the moment and enjoy it, but I didn't have that. And so I learned a lot about the life I wanted to lead. And that, that's actually what prompted a lot of how I ran the business. That's what prompted me getting my weekends back. That's what prompted me stopping answering phone calls at midnight or whatever it was or Sunday afternoon. I have to say that learning about the lifestyle I wanted and the life I wanted to lead and what I wanted to get out of this business really had a massive, massive, massive impact on how I put policies and procedures in place in my business. It was really important to me to lead the kind of life I wanted to lead. And, you know, that was... That was rough. Um, th- those lessons were rough because sometimes I had to get things wrong or make big mistakes or upset my kids or upset my husband or upset my friends or whatever in order to learn a lesson. And I I guess I would ask myself that question a lot. You know, what is it I'm doing here? What is the purpose in all this? Now, let me also tell you that a vast majority of the time, I actually loved being in business. It was, it was an adrenaline rush just like being in the kitchen was in the adrenaline rush. I love talking to people. I love serving people. I love making people happy. I loved being known as the cake lady. You know, I I just, I love that. I love that people knew that they could come to me. I love that people would send friends and friends of friends. I got so much love and positivity and joy out of owning that business. It was amazing. Not every moment was wonderful. I was worried about money a lot. A lot more than I needed to be. In retrospect, I worried about it more than I needed to be. I worried about employees. I worried about my kids, not thinking that I was a good enough mom or that I wasn't around for them enough. There were times when I was just plain physically exhausted. It's, a, it's an incredibly physically demanding job. I was working an insane amount of hours. I would gained and then lost and then gained and then lost more weight than you can possibly imagine. I ate a lot more chocolate than I should have. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. <laughs> We used to have these 25 kilo or 60 pound bags of um, chocolate buttons. And can I tell you, they're really delicious. <laughs> and it's really easy when you run a business to go, Oh, I'm feeling a bit stressed and just like whack your hand in there and pick up like a big scoop of chocolate. It's, <laughs> I don't recommend doing it, but I did it a lot. So it was owning that, that business was one of the most exhilarating and amazing experiences in my life. But there was also some pretty, you know, low lows and some very high highs, but overall I loved it. And I ran the business for a very, very, long time. Um, in the end by the time I sold it, I'd owned it for just over 10 years and people ask me all the time like why did I sell the business? And the truth is I knew I would sell it at the very beginning. At the very, very, very beginning, I knew that I was, i was from way back when I had that commercial kitchen, I knew that I was building that business to sell it. And I knew that I was selling it because, again, in the same way that my heart called to me and told me to leave the university and go to culinary school, and in the same way that my heart was calling to me and telling me that I had to move from this commercial kitchen to a proper, fr- a proper shop front, my heart was also telling me that there was something more for my life. I didn't know what that was at the time. I just knew that there would be something bigger coming. And that this business was a stepping stone to the next thing. I didn't know what the next thing was. Genuinely, I had no idea, but I knew that there would be a stepping stone. And so when I started the business and I started putting real money and real time into it, I really, I knew that I was growing it to, to sell it. And so when the opportunity came to sell it, it wasn't a difficult decision to make because I'd made that decision, you know, 10 years earlier or whatever it was. And so it was not a difficult decision to make, but let me tell you that, you know, the biggest lesson I think I learned over the course of that business, even though I knew that it had an end point, even though I knew it wasn't forever, all that kind of stuff, you have to actually listen to your long-term heart, not the heart that's battered by a bad experience. Every time I wanted to quit that business, and there were times, okay, particularly if I ever got bad feedback, right? Or like a cake fell over or like something in the car, whatever, like nothing worse than the sound of a cake falling over. So anytime something Terrible happened. I'd want to quit. I mean, I'm human, right? No, I hate this, I've had enough, I'm over it, whatever. And every single time that happened, I had to remind myself to listen to my long-term heart, not my heart that's been battered by that one bad experience. And one of the, one of the key, uh, things that worked for me is I would look six months ahead. I would look six months ahead and I'd think, okay, if it's six months from now and I didn't have this business, how would I feel about it? How would I feel about my life? How would I feel about the business? How would I feel about, how would things look different? And most of the time, in fact all the time except the very last one, when I do that exercise of looking six months forward, I'd realize that I wasn't ready to give up yet. I was just tired because I hadn't had much sleep, or I was worried because money was a bit tight, or I was upset because I'd gotten some bad feedback, or I was upset because an employee had done something a bit not so nice. And that lesson of learning to listen to the call of your heart in the long term is a lesson that still sticks with me today. And it absolutely, absolutely informed the course of my cake business by far. Because when you have a, that little bit of perspective, when you look six months ahead and you go, okay, in six months, it's this situation. If I still have this business, how will I feel? Every time I would always feel like I'll feel like I haven't finished yet. I feel like it's not time yet. When the opportunity came to sell the business, I looked at the opportunity. I went in six months time, if I've sold this business, how will I feel? And the answer my heart came back with was, you know what? I'll be proud of what I achieved. I'll probably miss it, but I'll be proud of what I'll achieved. I won't have, I won't be feeling like I wish I was back there. And that's when I knew it was really time to go. It was really time to move on from that because my heart was no longer telling me, no, you need to stick in this. No, you need to stick in this. No, you need to stick in this. And I think it can be difficult to listen to our heart when our head and our, maybe, our, maybe our bank balance or friends or other people are also talking to us, you know, with all those voices in our head, it can be quite hard to quieten those voices and listen to what your heart is truly telling you. But that was a really important lesson to me. It still informs the decisions I make today. And so to get back to that story was running the business. I was having a real time. It was all good. And a couple of years before I sold the business, about 18 months, actually, I started to get a lot of phone calls from people going, oh, hi, Michelle. I know that you run a cake business. My name's so-and-so, whatever I heard of you from so-and-so. And I was wondering if I could buy you a coffee or hot chocolate and pick your brain about the cake business side of things. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I don't even drink coffee that much. And I went to a lot of coffees. And it's because at that time, Um, Bake Boss was on TV, um, sorry, Cake Boss was on TV, Ace of Cakes was on TV, you know, Food Network became a big thing. And more and more and more, cake became very popular. I used to joke that cake is the new black. And I used to say everybody and their sister is opening a cake business. And that's really what it was like. It got, it gained in popularity to such an extreme degree that I was getting all these phone calls. Similarly, I was getting phone calls from customers who would be like calling me on a Friday night going, Friday afternoon going, I had a cake maker book for this weekend, but she pulled out at the last minute or, you know, I ordered a cheap cake from somebody and it fell over and it's not as good as yours. And I had customers of mine that had been customers for years calling me and saying, look, my neighbor now does cakes and it's so much cheaper. So I went with her, but it didn't come out like I wanted. Can you fix it? You know, this, this kind of stuff. And I realized that there had to be a need for cake, cake business education. And even not that, even if I could just share what I've just shared with you, this whole story of how I got there and what I learned along the way, there had to be value in that. So I started out teaching a, how to run a cake business class. And when I think about it now, it's hilarious to me, but it was a three hour class and I charged a hundred dollars, which I thought was by the way, a ridiculous amount of money at the time. It wasn't, but I thought it was, I charged a hundred dollars for that first class and four people came to that class and I taught In that class, I taught a little bit of introduction stuff about having a purpose for your business. I taught pricing and I taught a little bit of marketing and that was about it. Very small three-hour class. And four people turned up to that class. By the way, I'm an I'm I'm like an over provider, so I spent like a hundred dollars on catering, and I had like chips and and cheeses and crackers and fruit, and like it was it was insane. But whatever. So I had all this catering, and I taught this class so nervous you can't possibly imagine. And I got to the end of it, and those four people were super grateful, and I had a really good time doing it, even though I was nervous and like peeing my pants. And I decided to do it again, and so a couple months later I did it again, and six people came and. And then I did it again. And eight people came and eight was the maximum I would take. And then I moved the price up to $150, but it was still a three hour class. And I just kept teaching that class. And I realized that if in my small city of, of Melbourne, in the you know, middle of nowhere, globally speaking, there was this much demand, then surely there had to be demand on a bigger scale. And I love to write. That's really where my soul is, is, a, is a, as a writer. And I decided that I'd start writing a blog. And if you go back and read the very first blog now, um, for those who don't know, it's thebizofbaking.com. It's kind of embarrassing, again, about how ridiculous that those first blog posts were. But the point is that I was doing it. I was getting it out there and I was doing it. I made it happen. Again, win, lose or die. The fact is I made this blog happen. And I sent an email to like five or six cake makers that I knew saying, hey guys, I'm writing this blog now all about the business side of cake. You know, thought you guys might be interested. and might want to share it with your followers. And the overwhelming response was hugely supportive. Bunch of people going, I wish more people talked about this because... Remember that all those phone calls and coffees and whatever I was doing, other cake makers were doing too. It wasn't just me. And we all recognized a need for this knowledge and this information. So I started writing the blog and I was still teaching that ridiculous class. And eventually that class morphed into a two day class taught with one of my um, closest colleagues, Sharon, we, and then that class went international and then the blog got bigger and bigger and the blog turned into a Facebook page, into an Instagram page. It turned into some online classes. It turned into a book, uh, just recently, it's now turned into a podcast. And so the example for you here is that you just never know where those stepping stones are going to take you. Everyone you step on, right? Fails, success, whatever. Every every stepping stone you take in the right direction is going in the right direction. And again, maybe you'll change your direction, but the point is that it's all a stepping stone. It all leads to new things. I ended up selling the business Um, a couple of years ago now and it was actually it was not a hard decision to make because I told you the decision had already been made and I ended up deciding to become a full-time blogger and writer and author which is why we're here now which is just unbelievable to me. And I I think if I keep talking about this, I actually (laughs) might start crying. There goes that whole emotional thing again, right? But I basically took a business that started at home, just making cakes for friends and family, doing it illegally, taking this, you know, Wilton level one buttercream class. And I took it all the way to a business which actually still exists today. The company that bought it uh, still runs that business. They run it as a side business to what they currently do, but they still run it. I influenced the lives of the employees who worked for me, the people who got my orders, I got the great joy of being a part of people's lives during the celebrations of their lives. And I considered it then and I consider it now a great, great honor that that was my life that became my business life. And I'm, I'm so proud of that. You know, I don't think I'll ever not be proud of that. And it was never all wine and roses. And there were times when I was exhausted and times when my kids probably wished I didn't talk about cakes so much. And I definitely ate too much chocolate and I was worried about money and I did so many things wrong, but I did so many things right. And I look upon that time, owning that Kate business as a time in which I am massively, massively proud of myself. So that is my story. And just before I go, I wanted to give you one last piece of advice. So here's the thing I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else about what I said today, I want you to remember probably my favorite expression, my favorite Michelleism, when it comes to a business. And I say this all the time in the classes that I teach. I say it all the time. And that's this expression. So don't forget this one, okay? If you If you need to like tattoo this on your forehead or write it on a post-it note or something, you should. But it's really, really simple. At the end of the day, it's your business, your rules. What do I mean by that? You have to do things your way that's why you're doing it is to be able to do it your way. And that is super mega intensely scary, but that is super mega intensely awesome. The whole reason you're running your own business is because it's your own business. You get to do it your way. And through the course of my writing and my teaching and my podcasting, I'm going to give you Lots of lessons and lots of things you can learn. And I'm going to share all sorts of crazy stories because believe me, I have got plenty of them. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's your business and it has to follow your rules. If you never want to sell chocolate cake, don't sell chocolate cake just because everybody else tells you it's the most popular flavor around. If you never want to make I don't know a drip cake or whatever. Then don't. It's your business and it follows your rules. You get to do it your way, and so that comes with great responsibility, but that also comes with great awesomeness. You get to choose at any given time what the rules are, and truthfully, when else in life do we get to do that? So obviously, I don't mean this from a financial or legal point of view. Like, don't decide that one of your business rules is that like everybody pays you cash and you just like never declare taxes. <laughs> don't do that. But in terms of what you create, what it looks like, how it looks, the way you treat your clients, the way you live your life, the rules and regulations around your business and the things that you provide to people, the service you provide, the love you provide, it's always going to come down to your business, your rules. Thank you so much for listening to the first ever podcast from the business of baking. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so looking forward to having further chats. In the future, there will be some solo shows like today where it's just me telling you stories from my life, mostly my business life, but I can't help but put a bit of my personal life into it. I'll also be interviewing some cake makers, those who are already at the pro level and those who are not. And hopefully together we'll continue to learn and inspire and motivate one another to be the best version of ourselves we can be both in business and in life. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast by asking me a question or by suggesting a topic, I invite you to email me. You can reach me at michelle at thebizofbaking.com. That's the B-I-Z of baking.com. I look forward to hearing and uh, listening to all you have to say.
1: Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.